You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. This episode is sponsored by The Jordan Harbinger Show. Named the best podcast of 2018 by Apple. Tons of fascinating guests. Untold stories you won't hear anywhere else. Expand your wisdom and discover other perspectives that you've never considered before with The Jordan Harbinger Show. Join Jordan as he interviews high-profile people as well as intriguing personalities. Each episode features a discussion that might just take you anywhere. I recommend episode 970, where Jordan and guest Annie Jacobson talk nuclear annihilation. How likely is it? How scared should you be? And what comes after? There's also episode 886 with David Farina, which delves into the wacky world of flat earthers. These episodes are great starting points, but you're sure to find deep, interesting, and thought-provoking topics throughout Jordan's catalog. Turn off the music and turn up the wisdom with The Jordan Harbinger Show. We really enjoy this show and we think you will as well. There's just so much here. Check out jordanharbinger.com start for some episode recommendations or search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R. Well, I ain't dead yet. You can't kill old darkness that easy. Then again, I probably sound like death right now. Today, my good friend, Demon Creep, joins me to narrate an assortment of various supernatural stories featuring ghosts, demons, and even hellhounds. A big shout out to Demon Creep for being available to help me with my narration. My throat is still very sore, but I'm making a lot of progress. Be sure to subscribe to Demon Creep on YouTube and to his podcast, Demon Creep Podcast, on Spotify and iTunes, or use the links in the description. Now, let's begin. The Dead Trip From Anonymous this event happened about 10 years ago. Back then, I was into some bad stuff. By bad, I don't mean hurtful or malicious, just dangerous in general. Substances, to put it simply. One day, I decided to try something new. I won't give away the name or how this drug was made to protect everyone here. Looking back, it might as well have been a portal. Once the brew was ready, I took a sip and waited. Nothing except something seemed different. I checked myself in the mirror for clarity, snapping my fingers three times, snap, snap, snap. I went for a walk, and when I returned, I finished another sip. That's when it happened. The next thing I know, I woke up in a cold bed a week later. This bed was made of plastic and had thin white sheets. The walls were white, and I heard people outside my doorway. I was confused. What had happened? Was this jail? Had I hurt someone during the trip? I walked through the doorway into a hallway with a large room at the end. In this room was a desk with a nurse. I walked up to the nurse and asked where I was. 
and what had happened to me. She said something that made my heart drop. You were brought to the ER by your mother. You were holding an axe, but no one was hurt. You had taken one nasty dose of poison, she said. After our conversation, I gathered that I'd picked up an axe, dropped it, and my mother saw that I wasn't okay and brought me to the ER. The rest of my time in the hospital was uneventful. When I was given the okay, I was released to the care of my parents. The poison I took was nasty. It left my brain scarred. I was diagnosed with schizophrenia too. I had no understanding of what that was or what to expect of my new reality. That night, as I was being tucked into bed, I felt uneasy, like I was being watched by someone with malicious intent. I dreamed for the first time in years. When I woke up, I noticed the room felt different. It was that same feeling from before, still lingering. That's when I saw her, the dead girl in a white dress with blood on her feet. Her eyes glowed yellow in the dark. She just stood there, as a part of the background. I looked away, then back, and she was gone just like that. This dead girl haunted me for five years with attacks like that. Now I'm under heavy medication from my doctor. Every time I forget my meds, even just once, she'll be there, waiting, just biding her time. For now, all I can do is make sure I have a steady flow of mental health medication and pray that I never forget it. This is a cautionary tale. Don't run from your problems with escapism. It will only end badly. Take care. It smiled at me. From Juby I-4000. My parents live in a very large apartment building, just outside of Pittsburgh. The apartment has been there since the 70s, and has long been rumored to be haunted. I spent my teenage years there and, over the years, I've heard many stories from long-time tenants about heavy footfalls in the halls, strange laughter, things moving around on their own, and all kinds of other sordid events. My own story occurred in the summer of 2002, while I was staying with my parents temporarily while looking for a place of my own. I had just come back from a night out with friends and was walking down the hall to my parents' apartment. My parents live at the end of a very long hall, literally almost half the length of a football field. During my walk, I kept getting the overwhelming feeling that someone was watching me. Now I've had that feeling before, and it usually goes away as soon as I get into the apartment and close the door. But this night, it didn't. My parents were in bed, so the place was dark, the only light coming in from the patio windows. I still felt something was off, but I ignored my irrational thoughts, got a shower, and went to bed, closing my bedroom door behind me. At some point during the night, out of nowhere I snapped awake, heart racing, in a cold sweat, instantly terrified, and I had no clue why. Then I heard the breathing. I was beneath my covers, and I could hear slight breathing just over the covers, inches from my face, like something was watching me right above my blanket. I was frozen beneath my covers, eyes wide open, more frightened than I've ever been. 
I'm a pretty tough guy, amateur fighter, well-versed in two martial arts styles. Yet I could only lay there, curled up in a ball beneath my covers, stricken with debilitating fear, waiting for whatever was in my room to go away. And for what felt like hours, it didn't. I could hear it moving around my room, hitting cologne bottles on my dresser, pulling at the closet doors, knocking hats I had hanging on my wall to the floor, and moving back and forth past the beaded curtain in the window, making it gently rattle. Finally, I found the courage to reach out for my covers and grab the remote to the television. I clicked it on and lay there still too scared to take my head out from beneath my covers. After a while, I slowly pulled the covers down and looked toward my door. It was ajar, and I saw a large, perfectly symmetrical black ball moving slowly out of the room. And I knew I wasn't just seeing things, because it was blacker than the dark around it, and the light from the television gave me a good look at it. It paused when it saw that I was watching. I couldn't see a face, but I felt like it was smiling at me, warning me that it would be back. I sat there for a few seconds, hovering back and forth in front of the door, before slowly exiting the room. After it left, the tension in my room was gone, and somehow, I either blacked out or drifted off to sleep. The next morning, just to be sure, I asked my parents if they happened to be in my room the night before. Neither of them were. I moved out not long after. I visit my parents often, but any time I am alone in their place, specifically in my old room, I get the feeling that something there either doesn't want me there or just plain doesn't like me. And I am still scarred from that night. It's been 20 years. And to this day, I can't sleep without the television on. My parents still live in the same place, and visitors continue to experience odd events there occasionally. My wife has, my kids have, even my parents have, but they refuse to move out, saying that as long as it doesn't hurt them, they have no reason to go. They might think again, if whatever I saw there ever decides to make another appearance. Why the House is Empty From Silver Bullet 54 There's an A-frame house that one of my mentors from college, named Bianca, used to live in. It was in a small community I'd lived in once. She lived there for about four years until she was scared out of the house one night in 2014, refusing to go back in. This was in a small gated community, so I didn't understand why she was so freaked out. I thought it was because the front door is on the ground floor and easy to open, but it was what she had in the house that had terrified her. When she moved in, the house had been abandoned for a long time, littered with bat guano, mouse droppings, dead roaches, and extremely old newspapers. It was like somebody just upped and left with the new owner being the one to clean up. After a month's worth of deep cleaning, she got some furniture, a few appliances, and officially moved in. She said it was small, but cozy. 
One thing that did unnerve her was a decrepit old doghouse in the backyard of the property. I asked her why she was anxious about it, and she said she could never look at it when it was dark. She was always afraid when she looked at it, afraid that something would be looking back at her. I'd walked by that house day and night, and other than the empty feeling of the abandonment, nothing was exactly unnerving. One day I was with three of my friends, Jackie, Lexi, and Nathan, who were all college or high school age. Nathan asked if I knew the girl in the A-frame, and I told him I knew her from the college I had attended. He just nodded. I had a feeling he wanted to say something else. Jackie asked if she lived with an uncle or a father. When I told her no and asked why, she avoided my gaze but replied, I saw an old man in a plaid shirt staring at me one day from the second floor of that house. I smiled but he didn't smile back. Instead, he gave me a stern look. It was so severe it was like he was staring a hole through me. Lexi said the same thing happened to her the previous week. Nathan finally said the other statement he hadn't mentioned, which was, Anybody who lives in there is asking for trouble. Sometimes, I've heard growls emanating from that old doghouse. I thought the three of them were just being paranoid. On a cold October night in 2014, I was showing off my Halloween costume to the same three friends when we heard a hair-raising shriek. The next thing we knew, a Chevy roared down the road, probably doing at least 80. I recognized that Chevy as Bianca's. We all sprinted to the A-frame, but saw nothing out of the ordinary. Nathan shivered, then sprinted back to Jackie and Lexi's house. We caught up and asked him why he decided to cut and run like that. He said, Hellhound, and left it at that. Bianca forced a few friends to go back to her house to pack things up. Nobody has lived there since then. I keep thinking about the place. I asked my dad and he said it's still empty, and that was eight years ago. What I want to know is what's keeping people away from it. Maybe it's the cost. Maybe it's the lack of cleanliness. Maybe the size. Or maybe it's a man in a plaid shirt and a terrifying mutt. I know I don't want to find out, as all answers would be scary on some level. Something Unholy from Anonymous This isn't told by me, but from my grandma. I will write this from her perspective. It was 1968. We had just moved into a new house out on a ranch. We had one dog that we bought one year ago named Charlie and some chickens the previous owner left for us. Me and my two other friends, Daisy and Emily, were at my house talking and doing homework. We got the idea to look for some stuff that the previous owners might have left behind. I hadn't put my clothes in it yet. After all, we moved in five days ago. So we were looking through the stuff we found when Emily spotted a weird box. We tried to open it, but it would just not budge. We took it out and smashed it with a rock, but there was nothing in it besides some weird water-colored substance that felt like oil. We went on with the day and had fun. Later that day, after Daisy and Emily went home after dark, I was laying in bed reading a book. All of a sudden, I heard tapping on the window. My room was on the second floor, 
so it should be impossible for someone or something to even reach it. I looked over and didn't see anything. Must be my imagination, I thought to myself. I went on to sleep through the night without any problems. The next day, I woke up around 6 o'clock to Charlie barking at something outside. I went to check and my dad was outside. He was standing by the chickens. I took on my shoes and headed over to just say good morning to him. When I reached him, he looked at me. I saw on his face that something was wrong. I then looked to the cage the chickens were in. What I saw made me tear up and want to puke. The chickens laid there lifeless, without their heads, that were nowhere to be seen. The cage was also ruined. The front side of it was facing the woods, and was torn open and had blood on it. I ran in because I was scared and so shocked. About one hour goes by, and Dad comes in. I ask him what he thinks could have done this. He says, Maybe a bear. Who knows? He went later and bought some bear traps and put it around the ranch just for our own safety. My dad also had a 44 revolver and a hunting rifle, so we felt safe for the most part. We proceeded to go through the day without anything happening. Later that night, I was going to bed. I was about to fall asleep when that tapping started again. I looked over just in time to see something just disappear into thin air. I went over to the window to see what it was. I pressed my face on the window, but jumped back to feel some kind of oil liquid on my face. I wiped it off with my dress and went to the window to see what it was. It was that oily substance that was in the box. I didn't know what to think. What was that that I saw on the window? Was my brain playing tricks on me? What is that substance? Why is it there? I stood there for a while and then just decided to forget about it. I went back to bed only to lay down and feel it start shaking violently. I ran out of the room crying to dad. I tell him what happened. About the window, the liquid substance, about the box with the same liquid and about my bed. He went over to check and then ran to the locker where we had the revolver and rifle and grabbed the rifle. He told me to stay inside and then went out to check. He didn't see anything or hear anything. Later he came in and sat me down. He told me that the box may have contained something unholy like a demon. I asked how he knew and he said, seeing a liquid on windows and other things without reason are signs of a demon. I slept in his room that night. We didn't get much sleep actually. We just sat there quietly listening. As soon as the sun came up, we went to the church in search of the priest. We told him immediately what happened. He said that it's clearly a demon and that we are lucky that it hasn't done anything to us yet. He decided that an exorcism was needed and went there. Me and my dad stayed at the church that day, waiting for the priest to come back. When he returned, he said that it was done 
He also told us that he found our dog dead hanging from my window. The window had a hole in it. He said it looked like he tried to jump out, but the impact killed him and that the window was holding him in it. We realized just then that we forgot him and should have taken him with us. He also told us that my room was almost destroyed. I was sad and crying over Charlie's death. My dad asked if it's safe to return to the house. The priest said yes. We ended up moving out of there one week later. Was there really a demon in the house? Did it kill Charlie and the chickens? Was it trapped in that box? I don't know, but I am certain that something unnatural happened in that house, and I am sure as heck not returning to it. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. Do you believe in monsters? And given the chance, would you be brave enough to track one down on your own? In June's Journey, people are the true monsters, and you can live the story yourself rather than sitting back and listening to one. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Unknown Cryptid From Born to be Wild this incident happened back around 2015 or 2016. I just got out of a four and a half year long relationship with the girl I met online. During that relationship, I lived with her down in Connecticut, bordering Webster, Massachusetts. We were both very into the supernatural. After the breakup, I returned back to Seabrook, New Hampshire, where I grew up. I had no money and not much to save for belongings but I knew lots of contractors and friends of the family that also owned paving companies, so there was no shortage of work. When I came back, I had no place to stay, so a friend of mine let me stay in his 30-foot luxury boat on his property. It had been tucked back into the surrounding woods, probably 20 feet or so from the grassy yard where it was propped up on stilts, so I had to use a 12-foot extension ladder to climb up onto the stern of the boat to get inside. I would do this every night and pull the ladder up behind me so nothing else could climb up in the middle of the night. 
which I often envisioned, because on many nights I would fall asleep listening to scary stories. One night I'm returning home to the boat on a Saturday night. I just left one of my friend's parties. I had had a little bit to drink, so I had a nice buzz going. I'm not into any kind of substances, and I don't smoke up. Even just one hit gives me bad anxiety. So like I said, all I'd had was some drinks. I was approaching the boat when I suddenly began to get that eerie feeling, the one we all try to brush off as nonsense. But nonetheless, I quickened my pace and got up the ladder as quickly as I could. As I climbed over the top of the ladder into the back of the boat, I began to hear footsteps racing towards the boat very quickly. So in response, I rapidly grabbed the ladder. I began to haul it up. When I got the ladder halfway, I began to push down on my end to teeter the other end up in the air to get it as high as possible. As I did this, something grabbed the lower end of the ladder and began to jerk it down, flinging my end of the ladder upwards, smashing my funny bone. I roared out in pain. In the same instance, I smashed all my weight down on my end of the ladder as fast and hard as I could. Thankfully, maybe I just weighed more than whatever that thing was, because the ladder began to teeter in my favor. I peered at the other end of the ladder, and in the dim moonlight, I could see these long, skinny wrists and two little hands gripping the last rung on the ladder. The fingers were not long and pointy. Rather, they were short and stubby. The skin seemed to be a gray color, and its fingernails looked dirty. To be honest, they looked like they belonged to Gollum from Lord of the Rings. When the ladder was level with the boat, the creature let go, making me and the ladder smash down in the back of the boat. Immediately, I scrambled to my feet and ripped that ladder further up onto the boat, so nothing could jump up and grab it. I didn't have a flashlight handy but I could see the figure peering up at me with milky gray eyes. I stumbled backwards away from the edge so I couldn't see it any longer. Then it began to run back and forth to and from the boat. It would get maybe 30 or 40 feet away, turn around, and run straight back at me. It began making a loud gurgling scream noise, mixed with a turkey it sounded like. That's the best way I can describe it. I didn't watch it run back and forth making the noise. I was too freaked out. So I stood watch and listened from the doorway entering the lower inside of the boat, getting ready to slam and lock the door at a moment's notice. This went on for about 15 minutes until it finally ran off further into the woods and I never saw or heard it again. In my mind's eyes, it was running back and forth making that noise I pictured it whipping its head back and forth while it did, which to me would have been a ridiculous sight, so it made me laugh. I've been waiting to tell that story for a while. I'm glad I'm finally doing this. I'm not the kind of person that is afraid to tell their stories. I literally tell anyone that will listen, especially when the subject of the supernatural comes up. I hope you enjoyed. And remember, no noise happens for no reason. Ghosts in Oklahoma from Oki 81. This story goes back about 15 years, but isn't the first I've encountered in my home. I was dating a guy who didn't believe in ghosts or anything supernatural at the time. I was 19 and still living at home. He came over to visit, and I told him stories of things that had happened at my home, and he just blew them off as a joke, I'm guessing. Well, 
This particular evening, my father was out of town, and we were in my mom's room, which is pretty big, visiting with her. As we were finishing up in her room, they had walked out in front of me, and he turned to look back at me and asked if I was going to leave the light on. He knew my mom was a stickler about leaving lights on. I looked back and laughed and said, yeah, I am. I can't turn it off. He got irritated with me and said, seriously, turn off the light. I told him to walk back to the door and look. So he walked back to the door and I held up the cord to the big lamp that was in the corner and he saw the light on and cord in my hand. His eyes got huge and he tried turning the lamp off, but it was the kind that didn't have a switch off. He refused to believe it was anything other than a trick. So fast forward two years, and he's staying the night with me watching my folks' house while they're out of town for a few days. We're sitting in the living room and hear what sounds like little children running through the upstairs of the house. He got creeped out and ran to see who had gotten in. He was so scared looking when he came back and said he couldn't find anyone and had checked all the windows. We didn't date much longer after that happened, but I think the ghosts act up when they know a non-believer is in the house. My Shadow Friend From Soggy Ziggy I live in the military, so I move quite often. It started when I was in third grade. One night, I was on my tablet watching Netflix. I always had my door open because I felt safer that way for whatever reason. I lived in an old house from the 1900s, so it made the usual noises that old houses would. The stairs were right on the left side of the door, so I could hear it clearly when the top three steps creaked. They only made that noise when you went up those steps. Me being a curious little kid, I looked up to see who was climbing the stairs at exactly 3am. My eyes met with a tall black shadow. It was darker than the almost pitch black house. I froze as it stood there, not moving, not talking, nothing. I reached over to my light switch, shaking from fear. I flicked it on, only to find that nothing was there. I sat there, puzzled as I just saw someone in my doorframe just a second ago. I slowly turned the light back off after calming myself down. When the light flicked off, it was there again. It was still in the same position it was a minute ago. I quickly turned the light back on, thinking my older brother was playing tricks on me. But when I did, it was gone. I wouldn't experience anything weird again until I was at a sleepover at my friend's house. By then, I was in the fourth grade, still living in the same house. We spent the day doing everything we'd planned for their birthday. When it was time to go to bed, I lay down on their air mattress they'd blown up for me, next to their bed, trying to get some sleep. After tossing and turning, I finally drifted off. I woke up suddenly for seemingly no reason. I checked the time, and it had just turned three again. I got up to go to the bathroom, and when I did... There was the same shadow man, the one that had showed itself to me a year before. I sat there for a second, trying to rationalize what I saw. I slowly sat back down, hiding under the blanket. I was shaking and sweating. I started to panic as I realized this figure was following me. 
I don't remember what I did after that, but I'm assuming I drifted back to sleep somehow. Years later, I moved twice more. My parents were out of the house at a festival. My brother was downstairs, and I could hear him, so I knew he didn't do this. I was in my closet playing with my clay. Suddenly, my door opened. I looked over to see what my brother wanted, as I didn't hear him say anything yet. When my eyes met the doorway, I saw a dark shadow as tall as the previous supernatural figure. I got confused because my brother is nowhere near the same height as that shadow. I got up to see why he opened my door then ran into my parents' room next to mine. So I peered into the room, but no one was there. I thought he might just be tricking me. I went downstairs and there was my brother, still washing his dishes. In the end, I want to believe that all these figures I saw were the same thing. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Haunted Mental Health Clinic from S.C. Mooney Hello. I have a really terrifying story about a psychology clinic I quit. Let me start off by saying my family lived in a haunted house and I have been exposed to paranormal things and still experience things wherever I go. And I have been told by a medium I have a great spiritual gift later finding out that I'm clairvoyant, empathic, and can only see the dead. I've come a long way. That aside, it's common for stuff to happen to me, but normally not at work. So I worked at a psychology clinic in Oswego of Illinois, and I was the closer, so I worked from 3 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. I was only part-time and constantly wanting to be full-time, until all of the stuff started happening. It began very minimal, kind of how all things happen. And as I work there more often, it got progressively worse. Now, a lot of the girls that work there as therapists are very afraid to close at night, but they wouldn't address me to why. Little things like paperwork going missing, documents not printing properly, when we've had the printer looked at several times, birds hitting the windows, even like lights turning off and on by themselves. Now one thing I do want to point out is we have a break room and it has an auto light. It's the only room that has it. It never turns on whenever I go around the building. Never. I always have to manually switch it on. The biggest problem or the one thing that bothered everyone was that the chandeliers in our meeting room would shake for no reason, or the radio would turn on for no reason after closing. Eventually, about two months in, I started getting the hang of closing and ignoring all of the little things. One evening, it was about 6 p.m., still a bit sunny out. A little girl walked in with an elderly woman and they both sat down. I could clearly see both go to sit down, however, 
They sat in front of where my screen was for my computer, so I couldn't see them after they went and sat down. One of the therapists calls the little girl back, and the session is about an hour for each patient. After an hour goes by, a couple walks in, and the little girl finishes up and goes to leave with the parents. I called after the parents, thinking that they forgot the elderly lady, and I said, There was another lady with your daughter. Are you guys waiting for her? The parents looked at me very upset and confused, and the mom asked me what I was talking about. I described to the mom the lady that walked in. She was elderly, tan, looked Asian with white hair. The mom burst into tears and took out her phone and asked me if the woman looked like this woman in the picture. And I said, Yes, that's the woman that walked in with your daughter. The mom informed me that it was her daughter's grandmother that had just died that weekend before. I was completely stunned, and knowing that we had security cameras, I had asked my boss to take a look. She did walk in with a little girl, and you can see the woman sit down with the daughter, and then slowly disappear after. I couldn't believe it, and I knew I saw her. So then the things continued as normal stuff missing, printer not working and so on. On Fridays and Saturdays, kids come in the most for their sessions. I've had two kids say to me just out of nowhere, different families, different kids. While I was wearing my cross necklace I've always worn, they said, that cross won't save you. Both kids, both times. I've also been told by a little girl who has autism. She's warned me about a horned man in the lobby of our work who doesn't seem to like me. She said, He's very mean, and I don't like him and I don't talk to him. It was the scariest thing I've ever heard in my life. And our house was very haunted as I grew up. It just reminded me of everything we went through. And if you'd like to know that story, I can definitely share it with you at a later time. After that, I was pretty cautious of everything, trying not to really delve into words of children because kids can lie too. However, I don't think they were. One day I was opening Saturday, and I was the first one in the building. It's kind of hard to explain how the building was. But basically, two hallways were linked with one light switch. And then one single hallway had its own. I had turned on the two hallways, but needed to turn on the one and as I was walking to the one hallway, I turned and saw down the hallway a big man. He was wearing a blue t-shirt blue jeans and brown boots. His eyes were red and he wore a baseball cap. I stood frozen. I knew the front door wasn't unlocked because I was the only one there and I didn't unlock it. I did what was natural for customer service and I told him, Excuse me, you can't be here right now. Our office is closed. He charged after me yelling, I do whatever the f I want. Being the type of person that I am, if I'm going to be killed, I would rather have someone see his face. I ran for the light switch and switched it on, and no one was there. After that, 
I ran to my boss and I explained everything to her, and she was appalled about what she saw. It was exactly how I had described. Now before I go into too much detail, the psychology clinic is family owned. Hasn't been for generations, but rather their building was built on old land. After that, I quit doing the opening. I had one of the therapists go in and open, to which they never experienced anything. I did open up to one of the therapists that worked there. Her name is Becky, and she had told me that some seriously scary things have happened to her. About how one time she was going to have one of her clients go into the meeting room instead of her office. Some therapists share offices. And she opened both doors. All the office chairs were spinning simultaneously, all by themselves. Ever since then, she hasn't used that room and she doesn't go down that hall. I also want to mention we have a Keurig, with an enhanced timer on it and it always goes off on its own. No one touches it. My job was very much clerical, as well as medical billing, so part of my clerical job was to make sure things like that didn't happen. You can imagine it doing it every day, not every hour, but randomly. It was quite irritating. I had taken another night shift. The night I was closing, it was Friday. I was trying to leave and quickly turn everything off and make sure things were good to go. I went to the break room, and as I'm walking to the break room, there's a small little window section with a banister, so you can see immediately into the break room. This is where I also want to mention the motion sensor light in that room should go off, but never does when I go back there. I open the door to go to the break room, and our break room fridge is sitting cracked open. No one is standing there with it open. It's just opened by itself. I immediately went to the front, grabbed my stuff and left. However, this now happened on a daily basis from that point. I also worked at a fitness center right after sometimes, and I swear, it would follow me to work to my other job. That same night, I went to work and some of the treadmills wouldn't stop running by themselves. They would all be doing it simultaneously too. Things started getting very much worse from there. I would hear my name being called in the hallway. And my name's not very common, it's unique. I would also hear whispers of, Hey, come here. Or, get out. I'd be pushed. I'd have my hair pulled. Even sometimes, I get tripped over nothing. It was to the point where I started to try and video it, but every time I would pull out my phone to video it on my camera phone, for some reason, my phone wouldn't work. However, I was able to pull it up on Snapchat, and I was able to save those videos. One night, I was doing a walkthrough, and I heard my name called, and I turned around, and I noticed that the meeting room doors were open. I had literally just walked by, and they were closed. I then heard a squeaking noise, and I started getting goosebumps. I edged closer to the meeting room doors, and the chair was spinning all by itself. Just one chair. I chose to ignore it, because to me it's not good to acknowledge the bad. So I continued on with my walk. I just did my own thing. 
I still had one therapist left that night who was still there. After she left, I did one more walkthrough, and the door was still open, and the chair was still spinning. I decided to go back down the second hall, instead of going down that same hall. I hear my name so I turned. Luckily, I had all of my stuff on me. I turned around. The chair stopped spinning and was scooted to the door, as if someone was waiting, staring at me, sitting in the chair. I booked it out of there, not looking back. I've had times where doors that should be permanently locked like they're glued, sealed locked, randomly just open, which makes no sense because when it's sealed, you can't even turn the handle. The printer room always has the light turned on. Once, I turned it off. Even during the day, it drives me nuts. I've been through so much at that job that quitting was the best option for me once I found something better. And I'm lucky to say nothing followed me home. I can promise you the activity is still continuing. I'm still friends with a lot of the therapists there, and they said... It only got worse after I left. This hasn't even been the most frightening thing I've ever done or ever spoken of or that has ever happened to me. Definitely, living in my childhood house was way worse. But it's frightening when this place is supposed to be considered a sanctuary for the mentally ill. And to know that some of the stuff that happened to me was real. Things now in my life are good. Sometimes I see a lot, and other times not. But for sure, I am glad the horned man is out of my life. The People in My Living Room From Leslie Gibb Growing up in my first house wasn't what you would call normal. I lived there with my wonderful mom, brother, and my dad. My dad could be pretty mean. He drank a lot, and would get a very evil look in his eyes when he changed. Looking back on things, I think that land slash house may have been cursed. I always felt like something was watching me. My bedroom was straight down the hallway from the living room, with my brother's room to the left, and my parents' room just to the right. I used to run and jump to my bed so nothing could grab my feet from under my bed. One night, I woke up to laughter and talking. I sat up in my bed and looked straight down the hallway. I could see the couch, coffee table, and my dad's chair. There were people with drinks and cigarettes. They were dressed up like people used to dress for cocktail parties. They were laughing and having a good time. All of a sudden, you could have heard a pin drop. It got dead quiet, and they all turned and looked at me. They were staring at me with deep, dark eyes, not moving or smiling. They were just staring at me. I looked for my mom, but didn't see her. I didn't know any of these people. I was scared stiff. I thought maybe I was dreaming. I laid back down, pinched myself. Nope, I wasn't dreaming. Could I make it to my mom without them getting me? I was too scared to move. I looked back down the hallway to see if they were gone. 
They were still staring at me. I laid back down, covered my head up and must have gone back to sleep. When my mom came in the next morning, I asked her if her and dad had a party in the night. She said no. Why? I told her what happened. She believed me. I was probably around five or six when this happened, but I remember it like it was yesterday. There was a man sitting in my dad's chair and three people on the couch. There were candles lighting up the living room. I will never forget the lady at the end of the couch closest to me. She had a long red dress and her brown hair was up in a beehive bun. Her stare went right through me. I never saw them again. I have never forgotten them either. I still get goosebumps every time I tell this story. We moved away from my dad and that house when I was seven. We visited from time to time. When my dad passed away, we found a Ouija board in the attic that we had never seen before. We started a fire and threw it in. It wouldn't burn. We'll save that for another story. GPS Route Recalculating From Sean D. It started with a phone call. One of my friends was in a car accident. He had been crossing a highway on his moped when he was winged by a car that had run a red light. Whoever it was just kept on driving. He was understandably shook up and just wanted to see a familiar face while mending up in the hospital. I, however, was unfamiliar with the city he was in, and I told him it may take a while for me to get there, even using a GPS. So I entered the address he gave me into the app, a handy GPS. It showed color-coded roads. The traffic and construction levels determine the color. The roads were full green, an excellent sign for no traffic or road work. I set it to navigation mode, listening to what sounded like a female version of Stephen Hawking giving me directions. I'd left around 4pm. The weather was clear and I was making excellent time. Until, that is, the GPS told me it was rerouting. Confused, I looked at the map. Despite the roads looking largely empty, the map was now showing lots of red. Erring on the side of caution, I followed the new route, a long, winding road. Things went from weird to unnerving as the voice of the navigator became more and more mechanical the further I drove. Miles later, I heard, Your destination is on your left. The voice by now was so mechanical, it was alien. Looking around outside, I noticed I was nowhere near a hospital, but there was what appeared to be a drugstore, all boarded up. My fuel was dangerously low. If I tried to drive anywhere, I would wind up having to walk to a gas station. Checking the map, not only could I not see a single gas station nearby, I couldn't even find the name of the town. I looked around and what I saw filled me with unease. Along the roads, abandoned vehicles were parked eerily neatly, but all the buildings I could see were clearly empty. All the buildings I could see around me were clearly empty or run down in shambles. I did not want to be here after dark. Despite how new or clean some of the abandoned vehicles looked, I wasn't seeing evidence of anyone around. Desperate and scared, 
I came up with the idea of siphoning any gas I could find from an especially abandoned looking car. Illegal I know, but what choice did I have? I was vaguely familiar with how the process worked. I just needed a way to get what I would need to do it. That would require me to explore around the town somewhat. My phone, still on the GPS app, showed no bars and required a Wi-Fi network to access and operate the GPS. This puzzled me as it didn't need Wi-Fi for the app before. I think it would just download the maps I needed before the mobile network cut out. As I explored the lifeless streets, I felt watched. Watched by what, I didn't know, but I could sense something. As evening fell into night, the encroaching dark terrified me. By luck or perhaps mercy, I found what I needed to siphon off some gas from another vehicle. I chose a vehicle that would likely have the same kind of fuel I needed. However, the process was the most time-consuming and nerve-wracking moment of my life. Much like my ride, all the vehicles had little fuel left in them. I tried not to dwell on the fate of the missing owners. It was much later by the time I was able to go back to my car with enough fuel. I couldn't run fast enough to get back to my car to get out of this strange town. As I drove away, I saw in the rearview mirror something squatting. It was large, shapeless, and definitely watching my rapid escape. When I made it to the correct destination and to the hospital, I told the story of what happened to my injured friend. Naturally, he didn't believe a word of it, but I know what I went through was no dream. And though I couldn't find the road to that town when I retried to visit my friend, I know what resides out there is still hunting. The next traveler may not be as lucky as I was. Warning. The following story depicts a near assault of an implied sexual nature. Uber Escape From Anonymous I'm a 21-year-old student. Since I study in college, three hours away from my hometown, I reside in a hostel. One day, my aunt got very sick. Her kids were all grown up, and that day, they were out of town. Since my hostel and college were in the town she lived in, my mom asked me to take an Uber and go visit her. My roommate wanted to come along, as it was about 11pm at night. I asked him to stay in the room just in case I couldn't make it to college tomorrow as I'll be needing the notes. He agreed and told me to be careful. I requested an Uber. Soon the driver came up with a big white car in front of my hostel door. As I opened the back door, I saw the Uber driver. He was a man in his 50s, and he was looking at me kind of weird. As I began to sit down, he told me to come up to the front. I'm good in the back, I replied with a confused voice. He then insisted, which really creeped me out. So I got out and sat in the front. I'm not sure what I was thinking. Maybe I just didn't want a problem. We were then going to my aunt's place when suddenly he took a wrong turn. Uh, sir, this isn't the right way, I told him. It's okay. This is a shortcut. You've never been to this side before, he replied. He was right. I don't live here, so I didn't know much of this side. He kept making random small talk, which made me more and more uncomfortable. I was texting my roommate. He told me to ditch the Uber driver and just come home. As I was about to text a reply, the Uber driver took my phone. What are you... 
Come on, talk to me. Who are you texting? He asked. Uh, please just give me my phone back. That's very rude. I replied angrily. He apologized, but he didn't give me my phone back. He placed the phone in the glove compartment, which was broken. He said that I can get it back after the ride was over. This was really freaky, but it wasn't even the worst part. After a bit of silence, he said something. I have a gift for you. A gift to apologize for my behavior. This scared the crap out of me. I had no idea what he was talking about. He dragged his left arm in the back of my seat, and he pulled out a gun. He loaded it and said, You sure like to play hard to get, don't you? I was horrified. I tried to keep my cool, but I was scared to death, right down to my very core. At the time, I realized my roommate was right. I should have brought him with me. My phone kept buzzing in the glove compartment with a text notification. Before I could say or do anything, the driver said my real name. I lost my cool here. I never go on social media with my real name, not even on Uber. So how in the world did he know my name? I asked him, demanding some information. I've been watching you for weeks. This man sounded crazy. You probably don't remember, but you canceled a ride on me not too long ago. I'm sorry, but that made me a bit angry. Seriously? I thought. This guy is seeking revenge on me for canceling an Uber ride. It can't be just that. Or he's just actually psychotic. He went on. We can solve this the easy way, or the hard way. I didn't know what was going on. He then opened his belt and zipper. I knew what he wanted. Just as he began to put the gun on my head, a group of college students came passing by. He quickly hid the gun in his legs and pretended everything was fine. In that brief second, I noticed the doors were unlocked and we weren't going fast enough anymore for a sudden escape to hurt me at least not too much. I quickly grabbed my phone and jumped from the car. I ended up dislocating my shoulder. I got up and ran as fast as I could. I called my friend. I didn't know where I was at the time. I was just running and I came across a bank. The watchman there was standing outside. I told him that a crazy Uber driver was after me. He hid me in his cabin and I called my friend again and he finally picked up. I begged him to come get me. As I was hiding under the desk, I kept peeking out. I saw his car roaming on the streets, coming back and forth. That man was looking for me. After a few minutes, he went away. My friend came in about 30 minutes later. He asked how I ended up in this place. I told him the whole story. I thanked the watchman for his help and I went on with my friend, who took me to a doctor for my shoulder. This was the scariest moment in my life. I never did make it to my aunt's place that day. Snake Man on Dead Man's Pass, Oregon From C. Philly 100 Back in 2014, I picked up my life to move out west to Orcas Island, Washington. I had my two dogs with me, and I was driving my 2002 Toyota Tacoma at the time. 
To get out to northwestern Washington, you have to first go over Dead Man's Pass in Oregon. Nestled away in the Blue Mountains of Oregon State, the place's name, Dead Man's Pass, came from an incident during the so-called Bannock War of 1878, when a teamster driving a wagon through the pass was killed by a group of northern Paiute and Shoshone people from the nearby Indian Agency. Modern-day Interstate 84, which takes you over the pass, runs along the same path as the original Oregon Trail. Anyway, on to the story. It was nighttime. I was tired, which is when you know you need to pull over and take a rest. I was looking for a good spot to get off the road for some shut-eye. That's when I saw a blur of a shadow running out across the road in front of me. I was so tired. I just rubbed my eyes and figured it must have been my imagination. It happened so fast, I knew of no animal or person who could cross the road with that speed. Finally, I found a pullout. I turned off the road there before letting my dogs out to do their business. I was stretching my legs having spent almost 15 hours driving. My dogs suddenly began barking. They charged into the tree line repeatedly before darting back to where I was standing. I mean, they were really barking. I thought maybe they had found a bear or something similar. I was trying to get them to come back into the truck, but I was having some considerable difficulty, as every time I had one in hand, the other one would go charging at the tree line again. Then the one in my hand would pull away to relieve that one, who would run back like they were taking turns protecting me. But from what? I scanned the tree line to try to see what they were charging at. Before long, I saw something. Two red glowing eyes rising up from about two feet off the ground, up to a full height of ten feet in the air. It all happened in one fluid motion. I jumped in my truck and turned on my headlights to get a gauge on just what the heck we were looking at here. And boy, did I wish I hadn't. To my absolute horror, I saw the most monstrous apparition I've ever seen in my life. Right there, dead to rights in the foggy yellow light, was a giant serpentine creature, covered in shiny bluish green and yellow scales. It had arms and legs, like those of an extremely well-built man. The arms hung about halfway down its body and were equipped with massive shiny black claws. It appeared to have a long tail dragging behind it. It seemed to be tasting the air with its tongue, which was also long and black. It glared at my dogs, who continued taking turns charging at it. But then it looked up at me, or rather at my headlights, and what it did next still gives me chills. It let out this sinister hissing sound that almost sucked the air out of my lungs with its apparent seething rage. I'm no expert, but its head shape was similar to that of a salamander, with the eyes slightly bulging off to either side, but instead of black, these eyes were bright red, and when it opened its mouth I could see rows of sharp white teeth all up and down. I grabbed my dog's leashes and ran out in front of my truck, grabbing one and then the other, hoisting my dogs back into the cab, before jumping in after them, locking the doors and cranking the key in the ignition. The snake man was still just standing there, tasting the air with its tongue and glaring at my truck. I peeled out in reverse and barely felt the thumps of the asphalt shoulder under my tires before squealing out onto the road. When I looked back in my rear view, 
I could see that thing just standing out in the middle of the road where we had just been, but it didn't appear to be chasing us. It was just kind of standing there. I didn't stop driving until daybreak, as I was no longer tired at that point, in fact, quite the opposite really. I can't help but wonder if that creature had something to do with my being out there on such an aptly named pass in the middle of the night, or if we just happened to cross paths while it made its way through the mountains, doing whatever it is snake men like to do out there. At any rate, if you ever find yourself out in the blue mountains of eastern Oregon, be on the lookout, because there's something out there, and you may not get lucky like I did that night all those years ago. I'm glad I didn't accept that ride. From Kingly So, this is something I need to get off my chest, as I've never told anyone before. A few years ago, I experienced the strangest thing that's ever occurred to me. Honestly, my skin still crawls every time I think about it. At the time, I was in my mid-twenties, a college dropout that was just struggling to survive paycheck to paycheck. Back then, we only had one POS car. She was a very old pickup that we had named Gladys. In all honesty, she was only being held together with duct tape and wish. However, she was always reliable, and I thank the Lord every day we didn't have to live in her too. In fact, if it wasn't for my then-boyfriend, now-husband, for the sake of this story we'll call him L, I would most certainly be homeless. At the time, only having Gladys ultimately wasn't a big issue. We worked opposite schedules. With L being an overnight floor manager at a warehouse and me being on a day shift, it at least made transportation simple. In the mornings when he got off, I would pick him up and he would drive me to work before he headed home to sleep. Then at night, he would get me. We would switch and I would take him back to work before I went home to rest. Anyway, on that day, it was a Wednesday, which is my Friday basically, I was very ready to have my two days off. I worked 10-hour shifts at a local-owned mom-and-pop shop. I won't say which, for obvious reasons. I was paid in peanuts and had no benefits. But hey, it paid the bills. L dropped me off a few minutes early, gave me a kiss goodbye, and I gave Gladys a pat on the tailgate before he drove off. I always arrive early so I can get my drawer pre-counted and ready before we officially open at 10am. Due to this, the owner, who we'll call R, gave me third key privilege, which really just means more work and responsibilities without the extra pay. I unlocked the door and stepped inside, taking off my jacket to take it to the office. After grabbing my paperwork from the safe and counting my till, I saw R pull up and park in the back. She had a tradition of sitting out in her car for about 10 minutes and having a smoke before she came in. She referred to it as a pre-shift meditation. Not being a fan of smoking myself, I just call it a bad habit. Anyway, she stepped inside and threw me a surprised look as I smiled at her. Morning, R. I chirped. How was the meditation? She blinked a few times before looking over her shoulder. Oh, sorry, sugar. I thought I saw you out back by the dumpsters when I was walking up. Assumed you were tossing trash you missed last night. Now it was my turn to be confused. Uh, nope. I think I'm here currently, I said, giving myself a pinch on the arm. Ow, yeah, I sure am, unless you're going around mistaking me for homeless people. I exclaimed playfully. R gave me a stern look before cracking a smile and crossing her arms. 
You really are a ham, ain't you, boy? She rolled her eyes and walked past me to the office. Hey, she threw a look over her shoulder. Do me a favor and count up your till. It's bank day. I need the deposits. Yeah, you got it. I already counted the tills, so all you need to do is get the deposit from the safe. She gave me a wide smile. Thank you, sugar. You're always on top of it. Aside from a few fickle and rude customers, it was a good, smooth day. Our favorite regular came by to get her pack of gum and a six-pack of beer. She looked like a tanned, bleach-blonde leather handbag. Truthfully, she was a hoot, and I kind of wished she was my aunt or something. She was always telling just the most outlandish stories from when she was young. After I took my lunch, the rest of the day played out on fast forward. All the way up to 7.15. That's 45 minutes before closing, and there were no customers in the store. I tried to fight the boredom. I really did. After ho-humming a bit, I decided to go to the office and check my phone. My heart sank, however, when I saw three missed calls and a text from Elle. Hey babe, I'm sorry for the last minute message. My sister was in an accident. She was clipped by a car while on a bike ride. Her legs broken and has a pretty bad road rash. They have her doped up on the good stuff right now, and the doctor said she will be okay. Thank God. Will you be able to order or find a ride to the hospital when you get off? I need you here. I felt sick as the tears in my eyes began to fall. I read the message a second time and clutched my chest. My God. I looked at the clock, 7.20. I needed to go. After tearfully explaining what was happening to R, she nodded and put her hand on my shoulder. Ah, eh, 40 minutes never hurt anybody, right? Just count up the tills and go on and get, she said, giving me a sympathetic smile. You gonna need a ride, sugar? Considering I usually have a bad reaction to cigarette smoke and that her car probably smelled like an ashtray, I politely declined. No thanks, I'll just order a ride through one of the apps. She gave my shoulder one last squeeze, and I grabbed my till to count. I didn't waste any time at all. After I finished up, I said goodbye and headed out the door. I ordered a rideshare and waved R off as she pulled out to the lot exit in the backside of the store. The app said it would be about ten minutes. I bit my lip and cursed to myself, and in my panic I began pacing. Stay calm, I thought. All will be well. Out of the corner of my eye... I saw some movement going around the back of the building. What was that? I said to no one in particular. I unlocked my phone and checked the app again. It now said 15 minutes. I tapped my foot nervously and looked back where I saw the activity. I got time to check it out, I whispered to myself, and against my better judgment, I started the short walk to the back of the building. As I rounded the corner, I saw another stir of movement and froze. There was a person standing by the dumpster. Even though their back was turned to me, I immediately recognized the short, stocky shape of the store owner. I breathed a sigh of relief and began walking closer. Jesus Christ, R. You scared me, I blurted. Look, I I'm sorry I goofed on you earlier, but this is just mean. R turned around to face me, and my heart skipped a beat. I stopped, dead in my tracks. Suddenly, I got a strange feeling as she locked eyes with me. Oh, hey. She smiled. I felt bad about your situation and thought I'd offer you a ride again. I felt my mouth go dry. 
The way the words slipped from her mouth sounded so odd, but also strangely inviting. It was correct, but so wrong. Um, okay, cool. Well, I appreciate that, but I already ordered a ride. I don't want to put you out, I responded. I fought the urge to run. For all I knew, it was just a tone-deaf joke. Oh, come on, buddy. I can get you there safe. She was still smiling that smile. It softly beckoned me like a Venus flytrap. However, the way she spoke made me flinch. The odd emphasis on certain words and drawn-out nature made me both want to run to and away from her, like trying to fight the urge to vomit, a push and pull on my now-trembling body. Just then, my phone pinged and I glanced at it. My skin went cold. New message from R. Hey, sugar. I'm hoping you're still there. Do me a favor. I got halfway home before I realized I didn't lock the door. You have your key, right? I glanced back up to whatever I've been speaking to for the past five minutes. This time I looked closer and started to notice the little things, the subtle mistakes in the visage of what stood before me. The thing that was only pretending to be R shifted ever so slightly. Its eyes were a little too big and its smile a little too wide. Its skin looked a little too tight and the teeth a little too sharp. I began to sweat as its eyes flicked down to my phone and back up to me, never losing that smile. What's the matter, love? Don't you need a ride? It cooed. I shook my head. No, uh, really, th that's okay. I gulped nervously, taking a half step back. I I'm all set. Just then, like a sign or a twist of fate, or sheer dumb luck, my app went off, informing me that my driver had arrived. I cleared my throat and backed up a little more. <clears throat> I gotta go now, so uh, bye. Without missing a beat and downplaying the awkwardness of that farewell, I turned on my heel and began to calmly walk away. Calmly, that is, until I dared a glance back just before turning the corner. Now, the fake R was nowhere to be seen. That prickle of fear struck me, similar to losing track of a spider in your room. After that revelation and the absence of a presumed threat, the flight response fully kicked in and I ran like a little punk. I'm not ashamed to admit it. After apologizing and giving an excuse to a very startled driver, I finally got the heck out of there. It took everything I had during the 20-minute ride to the hospital not to burst into tears. I had so many questions. What on earth was that thing? Was that the same thing that R saw this morning? Did it pretend to be me and try to speak to her? How did it know about L's sister? Was it there all day listening to us? I shuddered at the thought. Why didn't it chase me if it wanted me so bad? Maybe I had to agree with it on my own. I, unfortunately, would never find out the answers to these questions. I quit the job immediately, doing my best to remove it from my memory. I never told L about it, so I was horrified when he brought up R the following week. Whoa, hey babe, looks like that lady that owned the store you used to work at went missing yesterday. 
I nearly dropped my phone when he said that. What? He gave me a soft look and patted my hand. Apparently, R's car was found at the store yesterday morning by the leather handbag lady. She was not inside, so she made a report with the police. They never found her. To this day, I still occasionally pray for R. I pray that she's okay and is hopefully just missing. I also pray that if that wasn't the case, and whatever happened to her was by the hands of that thing, that it was fast and merciful. Finally, I pray the hardest that the last thing she witnessed before she vanished into thin air wasn't something that was pretending to be me. Thank you for listening to another unsettling episode of Unexplained Encounters. You can send us your story to have it narrated on the show at darkstories.org. Unexplained Encounters is an EerieCast original series. You can find other horror-themed podcasts at EerieCast.com, such as Redwood Bureau, a fictional anthology series, Freaky Folklore, a documentary-style series about myths and cryptids around the world, Destination Terror, a show about the most haunted places, and Tales from the Break Room, another show I host all about the scary things that happen to people at work. Again, that's EerieCast.com. By the way, if you want fewer annoying ads and you want to support what we do, consider going to EerieCast.com plus to sign up for EerieCast Plus. That unlocks all our podcasts with all but host red ads removed. Until next time, stay safe out there and stay creepy because this world is a strange one.